Well, well, well. Good morning, church. Guys doing all right? Good, good, good. I am glad because I am super excited to be here uh, with you guys this morning as we have the opportunity uh, to engage back into the journey that we have been traveling on as a church for over 16 years now through the chronological unfolding story of God's word, of God's story, of humankind and of all the beauty that God is revealing and showing us through his story. Uh, Over 16 years ago, we started in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, and we have been making our way through the scriptures in their historical chronology ever since, uh, with a few breaks here and there, uh, like this summer, that we stepped into some other things. But for the most part, that's been our journey. And we are currently in the historical setting of that time in history when Paul is in Rome under arrest, waiting uh, for an audience with Caesar so that he can share the gospel with the leader of the Roman world. Uh, Just like in our system, when you are accused of something, in each level of court, you could appeal until you get to the highest court and there uh, you would have the right to bring your appeal. And if you were a Roman citizen, you always had the right to appeal to Caesar and then you would just sit in a holding pattern until you could see him. So Paul is in prison in Rome at this current juncture in history and he is writing letters. Uh, to individual churches uh, that he has relationship with, to certain regions uh, through a particular church that he has relationship with, and to certain individuals that he has relationship with, to unpack for them in instructive ways the beauty and reality of the gospel. And, And that's what's been unfolding. We have had the privilege as we have traveled through this journey to see how the gospel, the redemptive story of God, the the rescue work of God, his relationship with us, his character and nature, his grace and mercy, his way and his truth, this thing we call the gospel. We have been watching how its fullness emerges through the whole of the story of scripture. The further we've traveled, the more deep and beautiful the clarity of God, his nature and being in the gospel has become because of the way the whole of scripture uh, brings a singularity of the gospel. And yet, in every detail, in every story, in every discovery, through each little book, there the gospel resides as well. And insights and beauty of the gospel is brought to our attention. So whether we are looking at it from the most giant picture, or we're looking at it in the most acute detail, there resides the beauty of the gospel, the declaration of God's story and character toward us. What a joy it has been. And so we are now entering into a letter that Paul is writing to a person, and the person he is writing to is Timothy. 
This is the first of two letters that he will be writing to Timothy that ended up uh, in scripture uh, as the spirit of God sovereignly determined both by inspiring Paul and setting it into scripture. And so we are entering the first of those two letters as Paul writes to Timothy. So are you guys ready to jump into this crazy ride we're about to go on for the next few months, we'll say? How about that? Uh, We'll just keep it at that. So grab your Bibles because I am ready. Ready? Let's turn to the book of 1 Timothy, and we are going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. It's a good place to start when you're starting uh, a letter. And so uh, we're going to begin here. If you have a smart device, uh, believe it or not, it is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1 also. Uh, if you have your Bible, go there. If you bought one of those little notebooks to take notes, open on up because we're about to go. We're about to go. And we're going to go fast and crazy and furious. All right, so here we go. Let us see how this begins, and you'll notice it begins in the way one would assume a letter should begin when you are writing to someone, and certainly in a way that Paul will typically begin his letters. Uh, It says, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So we should stop there because there's a whole lot we need to notice as we enter into this space. So Paul here, as he initiates his greeting, uh, we will find out that this letter is a letter of instruction to Timothy that he will also utilize as instruction to the church that he is at. And so Paul establishes in his greeting, not only uh, his heart for Timothy or in other letters for the church, but also his authority in writing a letter like this. Paul is writing deep instruction that is uh, born out of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit without the advantage we have of the complete nature of Scripture. So Paul is writing and he needs to establish like there is a certain authority I have that affords me the writing of this letter and should afford you the consideration of this letter. And that authority is because I am an apostle of Christ Jesus. Notice not one that was chosen or established by myself or by others, other apostles, other people that would hold some authority, but my authority comes directly from God established as an apostle by Christ Jesus. Why is Paul saying this? Why does he say this each time he opens an instructive letter? Because Paul's unique story uh, actually has legitimacy in saying, this was Jesus who did this, not anybody else. Because remember, Jesus had disciples that walked with him throughout his time on planet earth as a minister of the gospel, as God in the flesh. Those three years he did his work as a teacher and rabbi. But Paul wasn't one of them. Paul, as a matter of fact, after the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus, was very much still embedded in the reality of Jewish hierarchy. And he was bent on squashing this new uh, thing that was emerging, this, this way, this gospel. And it was against the Jewish way and he needed to stop it. So Paul was a high persecutor of the church, of Christians. He would find them, he would kill them, he would arrest them. 
and it was on a road that Paul was taking to Damascus to go and arrest Christians that Jesus showed up supernaturally in an insane event and stopped Paul in his tracks and said, I know what plans you have for your life, but you are mine and I'm going to divert and redirect your life in a whole new way. I am appointing you as mine. I will make you mine. You will actually carry my gospel to the uh, Jews, but also to the Gentiles. So he is established in a very legitimate, real, tangible way by Jesus Christ. So Paul will often do this. Remember, I am an apostle, not by the hands of others, even though that would hold some authority, but by the very authority directly, specifically from Jesus. It's a big deal. And now Paul writes to Timothy, my true son in the faith. What, what on earth uh, does this mean? My true son, is it, is it a neat thing he's writing? Like, oh, Timothy, it's, it's, I love you. Uh, he certainly does. But this statement is born out of the reality of the story that unfolded in the life of Paul and Timothy and their relationship. When we enter a letter like this and we are starting brand new, in fact, even while we are in it, it is critical for us if we are going to understand both the beauty of things we'd otherwise miss or the accuracy of things we see, it is incredibly important that we take the time as students of the scriptures uh, to dig into the context in which those scriptures reside. Their historical context, the context of any one book within the whole of scripture, the context of any one passage or verse within the book that it resides in. If you are interested in being someone that takes scripture and experiences it as an inspiration to say whatever you needed to say in that moment to make you feel good about yourself or about the world or things, and you just want to use this on occasion to find inspirational verses and Google verses for this and that, and that's your entirety, uh, entire reality of scripture, then by all means, ignore context. You don't need context. Feel free to enjoy scripture to mean whatever you want it to mean. But actually, it turns out scripture is a truth that does not afford you or I the right to decide what it means. When we do that, we get ourselves in a whole heck of a lot of trouble. So if you actually want to be a student, of what scripture actually means and then have it say to you what it intends to say to you by the power of the spirit, then you ought to take context very, very seriously. Because without context, we cannot and will not rightly understand, rightly interpret scripture. Without context, if we get it right, it'll be a lucky guess, not an intentional study. But with context, if we get it wrong, it'll be almost impossible because context answers a lot. So as we enter a book like this, and it says to Timothy, my son in the faith, my true child in the faith, what is Paul referring to? Well, there's a whole history that unfolds that gets us to the writing of this letter that will help us in a massive way understand the very nature of this letter and what the things in it mean. The journey really began uh, at the beginning of the Gospels, right? Jesus comes to the planet. Uh, he uh, lives the life that, uh, that he said he would live, does the things that he said he would do, and turns out to be the person he said he was. The Savior himself, God in the flesh on the planet. He lives, he dies, he resurrects from the dead, and he ascends into heaven. At the beginning of the book of Acts, which comes out of the four Gospels, 
The four gospels remember four perspectives of the same set of events that layer the fullness of our experience of Jesus and his life like a 3D movie does. You study the gospels as a single unit, even though you can study each one individually, they are best understood as a singularity because they are bringing us the fullness of Jesus and who he was. We enter into the book of Acts and the book of Acts is the story of the beginnings, the establishment, the the preservation and foundations of the early New Testament church, which would become the church. It is the church. Jesus, while he was with his disciples, remember, he sat with them and said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna create this thing called the church, make this thing called the church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against her because my spirit will be in her and I will move with her and we will shove the darkness backwards. We will shove death backwards. We will stand, we will charge, and the gates of hell will not prevail. This is a big thing. This thing we are a part of, this thing we get to be, we're, the spirit of God resides in his people, the church. And so the book of Acts sort of starts saying, here's the church and it unfolds this way, which gets us to understanding who Paul is, who Timothy is and why this letter is what it's going to be. It starts out with the spirit of God coming on the disciples themselves. They preach the gospel by the spirit's power and thousands come to know Jesus. And we start seeing early on, wow, through the power of the spirit of God, he does amazing things through the apostles. The thing is though, that all the people that come to know Jesus, guess who they get as well? the spirit of God. And so they actually start doing a great thing together, teaching each other, sharing with each other, encouraging each other, loving each other. And a community emerges in the early book, uh, part of the book of Acts, that is this amazing community that represents this new way that is the people of God empowered by the spirit of God. During this season, we start seeing the people experiencing the miraculous wonders of God, the incredible power of God, the incredible power of community, and the disciples are preaching the gospel, as are some others. Persecution starts rising. The external world does not like what's going on, so they engage in bringing hardship to those preaching the gospel. And we discover quickly through the book of Acts that if you're gonna be part of the church, expect the fact that at times in different cultural contexts, depending on the season, you might exist in a culture that is dramatically hostile toward the gospel, subtly hostile toward the gospel, kind of not, but doesn't like it, depending on where you're at. But you should not expect that the world is going to buy this new king and his new kingdom as this new king and new kingdom stands over every other king and kingdom. And humans are building whose kingdom? Their own. So when you bring a new king and a new kingdom, a human being doesn't start well there. So as the apostles are starting to engage in persecution, what God shows them is when engaged in the hostility of the world, be bolder, step in harder. So the church prays for boldness and our first lesson is given to us. Internally, things also start happening. Turns out the church is full of humans who are full of the Holy Spirit and also are still in the body of flesh. So our selfishness does its thing and we start reading into each other's stuff and taking each other's thing like, oh, and 
And quickly within the church that is this beautiful community, some of the people feel like they're being treated unfair and other people are the favorites. And so they come together and they say, man, this is hard internally. What do they do about it? Boldness is the response to the external hostility. What's the response to the internal mess? We work through it. We engage in it. We establish a uh, 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 conversation, leaders, work, service. We get through it. That's what we do. And so they work through that Through that, a man named Stephen arises. He's one of the deacons. They've established eldership and deaconship now. Uh, Two different types of leaders with different roles. And uh, um, Stephen preaches the gospel. So what do we know now? The gospel is not only to be preached by only the apostles, but also by those who are in leadership in the church and those who are in the church. And so as Stephen preaches the gospel, he is stoned to death. And standing at his stoning, the first Christian that we know of now that is killed for their faith, the church is in shock. God's not going to preserve even our lives necessarily. So if you're going to follow Jesus, you might even lose your life. Wow, this is big. I got to, I got to, I got to think this through, right? So the church scatters. They're like, whoa. And standing at Stephen's stoning is a man named Saul. That's one of the names he goes by. The other name is Paul. It's just a different iteration depending on language of his name. And he's standing holding coats and he's a part of instigating the stoning of Stephen. After Stephen is stoned, the church scatters. Philip goes to Samaria, preaches the gospel to the Samaritans. The Samaritans come to know Jesus, some of them, and they receive the Holy Spirit, which tells us and the guys on the ground, the Holy Spirit is not just for the special pastor's apostles. The Holy Spirit is not just for the Jewish people. The Holy Spirit is also for the Samaritans, which means that the calling to persevere in our calling and, and to do the things is not just the responsibility of an elite few, the pastors and elders, empowered by the Spirit in a different way than everybody else. No, the Spirit is in all those who come to know Jesus and is empowering them to do the work of the gospel. So Philip then does that while that's happening. Paul, who is writing the book of Timothy, I'm bringing you back to each time because this whole crazy story is to give us the context to understand this letter. So Paul is now on his way to Damascus to go and kill Christians and arrest them. Jesus encounters him on the road, redirects his entire life. Now Paul's suddenly like, whoa, this gospel is true. Jesus is king. What does this mean? And he starts a journey. While that's going on in the book of Acts, Peter uh, is preaching the gospel with John and God says to Peter, go to Cornelius's house. Cornelius is a Gentile. So remember, Philip's now preached to the Samaritans. They have the Holy Spirit. Wow. Paul is converted. Wow. And now Peter is off to Cornelius's house. And this is all happening kind of simultaneously. And this isn't the Facebook age. So nobody knows this is all happening with each other. It's just happening. Peter goes to Cornelius's house. He preaches the gospel to the Gentiles. Cornelius and his family come to know Jesus. And what do they get? The Spirit of God. And so then a declaration, my spirit is for any person uh, that comes to know me as savior. Which tribes, tongues, and nations get the spirit of God? All of them. Which personalities, uh, giftings, types of people get the spirit of God who come to know Jesus? All of them. So who is empowered by the spirit? 
all who follow Jesus. So who's responsible to follow Jesus, uh, to learn, to grow, and to persevere in the faith? All of us, right? We are all in the same boat. So this is recognized. Wow. And Paul is now being discipled. Gentiles are on the scene. They're part of the story. Samaritans are. Jews are. People are. Leaders are. Non-leaders are. Powered by the same spirit. Now Paul in a process of discipleship, ends up in Antioch. And he's there with a man named Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas are sent out uh, by God's direction to go and uh, share the gospel in the regions of the world that have not yet heard the gospel that are now going to include a whole bunch of Gentile people. Because apparently through Peter's story, which he let the church in Jerusalem know and then got word out, Gentiles are also ready to receive the gospel. Let's go tell them. So Paul and Barnabas travel on their first journey from Antioch to a region called Galatia. Galatia. In Galatia, Paul goes to two cities, Iconian and Lystra. In Iconian, he preaches the gospel. Some come to know Jesus. As he heads to Lystra, he preaches the gospel there also. In Lystra, he is dragged out from the city and they stone Paul, the people of Lystra. We don't want to hear this craziness. Get out. And they stone him and leave him for dead. Paul wakes up after being left for dead, battered, bruised, and broken. They're not throwing pebbles at the dude. You understand what I'm saying? They intended to kill him. They assumed him dead. And Paul, like any thinking human being, gets up from that, brushes his feet off of Lystra and says, you all can live without Jesus. And he rolls out. No, that's not what happens. That's not what happens at all. Paul gets up from being stoned and guess where he heads to? Right back into Lystra. He's like, hey guys, sorry about that. You should have killed me, but uh, I got a gospel to share. So I'm going to share it again. And if you want to drag me back out there and kill me again, feel free. But I'm sharing the gospel. That's what I'm doing. And he shares the gospel. And this time it doesn't go the same way. And people come to know Jesus. Among the people that come to know Jesus in Lystra, buckle up now, buckle up. Because this is where it gets super crazy cool, right? In that town, if Paul hadn't gone back after being stoned, right, then this wouldn't have happened. Think about this for a second. He goes back a second time, he preaches the gospel, and, and this woman named uh, Eunice and her mother, uh, Lois, come to know Jesus. Who is Eunice and Lois? Eunice is the mother of a man named... Timothy and Lois is his grandmother and Timothy comes to know Jesus in Lystra while Paul is there on his first missionary journey preaching the gospel after being stoned and left for dead and now returning. Do you understand when Paul says, Timothy, my true son in the faith, how deep that sentence is? You understand how for Paul, he's like on my very first missionary journey into my very first region, Galatia, in the second city I walked into among the Gentiles, left for dead. I came back and you and your mom and your grandma came to know Jesus and it was awesome. You are truly my true son in the faith. What happens after that is Paul is so impressed with the maturity and beauty uh, of Eunice and uh, Lois, uh, the, uh, um, uh, Timothy's grandmother and mother. And uh, we uh, assume perhaps the whole family, but that's who he speaks to, that he actually comes to Timothy and says, I would like for you to travel with me as I continue to carry the gospel into other places. He invites Timothy to step into a relationship of mentorship, a rabbinical relationship. Paul, the rabbi, 
Timothy, the disciple, let's go do this together. From this point forward, after this uh, thing happens, from AD 49 to AD 57, Paul and Timothy will now travel mostly together. They will travel on the other missionary journeys. Paul goes on. He heads up uh, uh, north of uh, Asia Minor, south of Bithynia, cuts across west, across the Aegean Sea into Macedonia, plants churches all the way down the coastline of Macedonia. Timothy is there for much of that. They go to Macedonia together. They go to Greece together. They go to Turkey together. Uh, they, 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 they preach the gospel. They plant churches. And this whole time, from from AD 49 to AD 57, this is all unfolding. In AD 53, Paul arrives in a city called Ephesus. And in the city of Ephesus, he preaches the gospel there with Timothy. A church is established and he establishes a church in Ephesus. You might say, why are we in Ephesus? Hold on, buckle up. Ephesus is insanely important in understanding 1 Timothy. We'll get there. Watch. They're in Ephesus. Paul stays there three years in Ephesus, plants the church there, disciples the church, leaves Ephesus. Later on, Paul writes a letter uh, to the church uh, in Ephesus, but that comes after a crazy sequence of events. In AD 57, remember we said from 49 to 57, Timothy traveled with Paul. Why the ending of that in 57? Here's why. Because in AD 57, Paul is heading to Jerusalem to deliver a gift from the Macedonian region for the church in Jerusalem who were uh, suffering and struggling. And on his way down, he wanted to bypass Ephesus and he wanted to meet with the elders of the Ephesian church to pray over him on his journey. When they came in the book of Acts, the elders said to Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. We've had a vision. It's going to go very badly for you there. And Paul says, I know I'm going anyway. Because when God is calling me into the mission, what happens, happens. And he heads to Jerusalem. Remember there on his way to Spain, he gets arrested in Jerusalem by the Romans to protect him from the Jews who want to stone him. And the Romans don't know what to do with Paul. So he cycles through a system of prisons in Jerusalem and then all on his way to Rome. He ends up in Rome sometime before AD 60. So from 57 to 60, Paul is in prisons. Timothy's not traveling with Paul prison to prison. In AD 60, Paul writes a letter to the church in Ephesus from his uh, imprisonment in Rome. And we get the letter of Ephesians. The letter of Ephesians is the culmination of Paul's letters that he wrote of how the gospel informs different parts of life. Galatia, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Romans, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, all these letters he wrote before Ephesians. uh, And he's saying, uh, here is uh, how the gospel informs different parts of life. And then Ephesians is what we call the, the, the queen of the epistles. It is Paul's way of saying, everything I know of the gospel, I can now quantify into a single letter letter. Here it is. Who does he give the queen of the epistles to? The church in Ephesus. Do you see the standing of the church in Ephesus, how he felt about them? Of all the churches to receive the gospel in its most beautiful, simple, unbelievable, here it is form, the church in Ephesus is what he decides to send it to. Now, this is where the story gets interesting. Paul we understand from history at some point was likely released from prison in Rome for a period of time. He was rearrested later on. In that release, Paul traveled to a couple of places. One of those places he traveled to was Ephesus, that region. Who do you think he traveled with? Timothy. 
And when he was in Ephesus, uh, he engaged with the church there. He left the church in Ephesus, headed back to Rome and was rearrested. He either, pay attention now, he either left Timothy in Ephesus to pastor the church in Ephesus, or they came back together. And when he got rearrested and heard that in the church of Ephesus, some false teachers had entered in, they were teaching a bunch of false doctrine that was beginning to shape the entirety of the, how the church functioned. He sent Timothy back to Ephesus to go and confront the false teachers, confront the church and reorder the church so that both its doctrinal theological clarities were true and the functionality or implications of those were true. So where is Timothy headed to? Or where is Timothy? In Ephesus, at the church of Ephesus with the Ephesian leaders, he's a young leader, probably in his forties. And he's got all these older men and older women who've been around the block. They've got all the wisdom and they are, are doing things in the church. And Paul's like, you got to course correct this thing. That is why Paul is writing 1 Timothy to Timothy. What a commission Paul is giving this man. So the way that the letter unfolds in its structure, in its form, makes sense then in what Paul is doing. Chapter one, Paul writes through the chapter, the commissioning of Timothy. Here's why it's you. Here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna go confront these false teachers. You're gonna deal with it. It's gonna be hard. They're not gonna respect you, but I know you've got what this takes. I've commissioned you. Uh, I've called you. The spirit of God's called you. Go do it. You read the first chapter and it's like this. Timothy, you got this. You've got the spirit of God. You've got me behind you. Go do it. And here's what you're going to go do. Then right before he goes into chapter two and three, where he goes through correcting some of the real problems in the church in Ephesus. And he's like, this is the implications of what's being taught here. And we need to correct course. Right before chapter two, he shares a little poem about Jesus. Why would Paul do that? Because whenever Paul writes any letter that is instructive, he always goes like this. Instruction, remember who Jesus is instruction. You got it. Remember who Jesus is. Instruction. Remember who Jesus is. Instruction. Remember who Jesus is. There's like five of you. Welcome. Thank you so much. Because Paul will always show us through his letters, his preaching, if you forget who Jesus is, just stop, just quit. Nothing else matters. All of this is about who Jesus is, what he's done and why we're doing it. It's for his glory and his kingdom. So if we're course correcting, if we're doing things, if we're instructing, it's because we know and remember who Jesus is. And so between chapters one and two and three, there's a poem about Jesus. Then two and three are some general instructions to the church on how the church should function, how men and women should function together, what, what they should do, how they should do things, how leadership should function, because it wasn't in that church. Then there's another poem about Jesus. And then chapters four, five and half of six are instructions about specific implications within the church because of these false teachings that need to be redirected. And then there's a, a, a commissioning of Timothy at the end of chapter six saying, remember, you got this. I just wrote a big letter about a lot of hard stuff, but you got this. And then he closes the letter out with a poem about Jesus. That's right. Out of this letter, are born some themes that are deep and beautiful and abiding. And it is around these themes that we will spend our months in the book of First Timothy, because the form and function of this letter gives us the structure, but it is the themes that are born out of this letter that are truly beautiful. And these themes are born out of the purpose that Paul holds for this letter. 
The purpose is actually found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. You're like, oh, we're doing one more verse? Well, we're touching on it. We'll study it later. But we are going to touch on it because it does hold the purpose. Here it is. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. I hope to come to you soon, says Paul, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how to how one ought to be- behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Uh, just in case you're like, what's a buttress? Uh, a buttress is another type of pillar, but one that looks like a tree that widens at its base so it can hold up much more weight to support something. So he's like, man, Here's the deal, Timothy. I, 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 I'm, I'm writing this letter to instruct you so that you can do what needs to be done for the church so that you can establish and you can preserve how we as Christ followers are to behave where? In the church. So that what we do outside the church doesn't look stupid because what we're doing in the church defies the gospel. It's like they need to see what happens in here and that needs to authenticate the gospel so what you're doing out there actually makes sense. So here's how you're going to do it. So these themes are born. And here are the themes that are born out of 1 Timothy. And then this solidifies for you and I the context so that we can roll into the book, which for the next hour we're going to do. So, but, no, I'm just kidding. That's not going to happen. This is just about context today. So here's the deal, right? Watch this. The first theme that we are going to explore that emerges throughout the book is that at the end of the day, this is about the establishment and preservation of the church. Any of you guys want to be a part of a church that though established is now not going to be preserved, start falling apart, erode and crumble at its very foundations and the world will never know Jesus. I have no interest in being part of a church like that. And this is written to a specific local church to say, this is how you preserve. This is how you establish the church in its local form so that it can be part of its great form. And the foundation of establishing the church and preserving it is going to be through love. Our graphics team who are amazing produced this graphic. Watch how it unfolds now because its purpose is that every time you see it over the series of 1 Timothy, you would be reminded of the themes in this book that we will be exploring together. The central graphic is a tree with the heart in it because this book is about establishing and preserving the uh, foundation of the church through our love one for another. And we're going to see that theme emerge. Four other themes emerge out of that foundation. The first is that sound doctrine matters, the importance of sound doctrine. And we will find that we cannot love rightly if we are loving our way versus the way of God. So we must understand sound doctrine in order to live rightly in a manner worthy of the gospel. If a church doesn't have sound doctrine, it all starts crumbling. So we have the tomb that is opened on the end here to say, if we don't understand who Jesus is and what he's done, we're not going to understand any of this. Sound doctrine matters. Then there is a call in this book to persevere in our calling. Do you think it's going to be easy to follow Jesus? You think it's going to get hard when the culture gets all squirrely and makes a lot of sense and tells you things that sound much better than what God is saying? See, you all assumed you'd walk into a culture and every time they'd say a truth that defies God, it would be so stupid and so obvious that you'd be like, that's dumb. But it turns out oftentimes a culture says things that sound a heck of a lot smarter than what God is saying and a heck of a lot more compassionate and a heck of a lot more everything. And then we're like, oh my gosh, that sounds so beautiful. 
We are going to endure in their cultural contexts the realities of needing to persevere in our calling. It's not going to be easy. People are leaving the churches in droves in our cultural context because they're mad at the church because it's messy. And you're like, hello, FYI. The point of being together is to work through our mess and to see the beauty of the fruit of God emerge through that. If you were hoping for a church that would show itself without imperfection, you're dead in the water. So he's saying, persevere in the calling here. Stick with one another and work through your stuff. Don't be like rolling out and saying, I'm done with the stupid church. I'll just serve Jesus myself alone in my home. He didn't say, on the rock of Renault, I'm going to charge the gates of hell. And on the rock of Julie and on the rock of, of Sam, he said on the, on the rock that is my church. We do this together, we don't do it at all. And then the next thing, oh, so that's the shield. You pick up your shield and you persevere in your calling, whether internally rough or externally rough, we persevere in the calling. And then uh, we are responsible for faithfully serving and leading the church. Who's responsible for faithfully serving and leading the church? The pastors, that's right. No. No, the pastors and the staff. No, the pastors, the staff, and the spiritually mature people. No, anyone who follows Jesus, who has the spirit of God, and those two cannot be divorced. They are the same thing, right? Are responsible for faithfully serving and leading the church. What we will get a ton of instruction on is how we faithfully serve and lead the church together in our human dynamics. But that is a calling. So we have the little tools over here. You pick up your tools, you get in the game, and we work together to faithfully serve and lead the church together. And then the final piece, the final theme that emerges is uh, the handing down of our faith. Paul is going to be real clear with Timothy. I've handed to you the faith God instilled in me. You are to hand it to faithful others who will hand it to faithful others who will hand it to faithful others and so on and so forth. And the keys to faith, the keys to maturity, the keys to knowing Jesus, we are to constantly be handing them over to each other. And Timothy will be the recipient of Paul's letters and a letter and Paul will teach Timothy how. And in so doing, we too will learn. So we come to this place where these themes emerge about the establishment and preservation of the church, how to handle this internally. And you might say now at the end of this, okay, Rena, this is all great, but what's the point of this message, man? Like I said, I, I need a point. I need a sentence to write down. It's like, oh, that was the lesson. Well, there ain't none. It was a waste of time. No, there are two things you ought to pay attention to that establishes everything for our journey forward. The first is this, no context, no understanding. Now you have context. And now as we enter this letter, things that would have made no sense will make sense. Things that would have been hard to understand will become easy to understand. Truth will emerge instead of the truths we determine for ourselves. So welcome to the an introduction of 1 Timothy. You and I have context now, secondarily. And this one's just a little side note gift, but that's not a side note at all. 16 plus years ago, when we started in the book of Genesis, uh, we looked ahead over 16, 16 and a half years. And knowing that we would be entering a space in the last two or three years where COVID would emerge and politics would be in play and all those things would come to be that would shake the foundations of the church that would turn us all inside out and upside down, that would test the very preservation of the nature of the gospel in the church, that would put us all on our heels and cause us all to go, whoa, 
because we knew that was coming, we looked at everything and said the ideal book to really study right after we come out of all of that will be 1 Timothy. Because 1 Timothy is the letter where God says, you want to know how to do this in the church together? You, you read that verse 14 and 15 of chapter 3. I'm writing this so that if I don't show up, you would know how to behave with each other in such a way that would set a fortress for the church, right? So we were like, yes, 1 Timothy, September 2022. And so we planned out the 16 years over that time and exactly which books would hit so that we made sure September 4th, uh, 2022, 1 Timothy would start. Are you buying any of this? We had no idea what was coming down the pike. We had no idea if we'd ever get to 1 Timothy. We figured we'd be dead by then. But there is one who knew. There is one who knew. Now, this is a big deal. Can you imagine what a gift it is to us? That God determined 16 and a half years ago that through a sequence of our humanity wrestling book for book, how many, should we preach this? And how far should we go? How many times we planned like uh, three months for a book and it turned out to seven or we planned nine and it turned out to be three. It's changed constantly. We had no plan. We were just like next book in the history, work through it. And God in his sovereignty could not have brought to this church a better letter for our next season than this one. He couldn't have done it. I've read them all. This is the best one. I would have picked it if God said, pick one. But he picked it for us because we're just following the chronology. So what a wonder it is that we serve a God who is throughout history using this for a church in Ephesus, very specifically under very particular context with a very particular person who is Timothy and Paul and simultaneously wrote that book even then for September 4th, 2022 for a church in the central part of Florida to say, you're going to need this book. So I'm going to write it for you. And I'm going to give it to you at exactly the right time in exactly the right place. We should stand in awe of the sovereignty of our God, the grace and love he has for us. And the fact that this thing that we call scripture is not a book. It is the living, breathing word of God. And he determines its timing and determines its way so that it comes to us when it is necessary. And I stand here awed by the fact that on September 4th of 2022, it was First Timothy that was next. We serve a gracious and sovereign God. So that should give us great confidence as we enter into this book, but also great excitement and curiosity. What is it, God, that you have for us? What is it you will show us? What is it we will know when we are done with First Timothy that we do not yet know now? And how will that change everything as the books before this have done in their perfectly placed timing. So for you to participate with us in this journey, because we don't want to be the only ones on the stage doing the incredible wonder of exploring the book of 1 Timothy, we are going to give you a gift today. Because we've given you context, we can now give you this gift. As you leave this place after we have worshipped, after we have taken some time in our worship to stop, to stand together, to declare another song of worship, not to bookend a sermon, but to give the Spirit of God time to settle all the speed that Renault just moved at into our little hearts and minds, because we're like dizzied by it all. Stay, worship, reflect, think. But then as the, as the time comes to an end and you leave here, outside there, 
we have these letters. It's a one-page letter on a nice big page, the kind of paper you would have perhaps received in Timothy in Paul's time. And on it is the book of 1 Timothy, or shall I say better, the letter of 1 Timothy. It has no verse numbers in it. It has no chapter titles. It's just a letter. It's a letter from start to finish, and it's on one page. It's a short letter. You'll be like, what? This is 1 Timothy? It's a long thing in this book. I'm like, just one page letter. It is sealed and carefully sealed with a wax seal. It's not a real wax seal. It's a sticker, but it's thick and really nice looking uh, because we want you, each of you, to leave here and take one of those. And this week, sometime in the quietness of your life, or for those of you that are Americans, making some quiet time in your life, stop, cease, sit, carefully break that seal like Timothy would have done in receiving the letter from Paul. Be excited. Open that page up. And as you see Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, have your heart surge like Timothy's would have and gone, oh, it's a letter from Paul. And then read it. One sitting. Don't stop. Don't pay attention to sentences that don't make sense. Have you ever read a letter like, oh, I got to stop here and interpret this sentence from my friend in Nebraska? No, you read the whole letter. You, 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 you wonder in the wonder of her heart or his heart on, on what they're saying. Read the whole letter one sitting. It'll take you less than 20 minutes. For those of you that read like me, 28 minutes. Read it, fold it back up, and just sit on what you discover is a letter from your friend Paul to a time in your life where you've got to get into a church mix and do some hard work repairing what is sort of needing to be done. There's enough of those letters for every one of you. So it's not per family. Every one of you take one. We did that because we're like, if you give it to the wife, the husband ain't getting it. If you give it to the husband, the wife ain't getting it because it's busy. So you each get one and you go and you sit and you read it when you're ready. And I don't know what God's going to show you as you read that letter. But what it will do if you do it this week is it'll prepare your heart and mind like it is preparing mine to come back next week and be ready to start at the beginning and quietly, systematically, beautifully work our way through the wonders that Paul is waiting to give us by the inspiration of the Spirit and his direction and power. First Timothy, here we come. Let's pray. God, we really can't even imagine what great and unsearchable things that we do not yet know you will show us through this letter that you showed Timothy through Paul writing it to him. And now you will show us as we prepare ourselves to walk into a space where through the way we love one another expressively and experientially in this church, that we would establish the foundation of the church, that we would walk in its preservation through the commitment to sound doctrine, the beauty of coming together and persevering in our calling, the joy of serving and leading together in this place, and the wonder of passing our faith to each other so that it is constantly passed down to faithful men and women following Jesus, so that we might become more faithful men and women following Jesus. God, lead us now. This week, as we read this letter that you wrote through Paul to Timothy, May you write this letter now through your spirit to us, each of us as individuals and to us collectively as a church and prepare our hearts and minds for the journey that lies ahead over these months to come, that this letter might open our eyes, set 
our eyes and hearts and minds on you, Jesus, and give us the necessary instruction to effectively live out what it means to follow you here with one another inside the walls of the church so that the world will know that we follow you by our love for each other and our faithful commitment to knowing you, following you, and making you known. We are yours. Our hearts and minds are yours. Spirit of God, do with us as you see fit and make us more like Jesus. Amen.